Support for Oyster World Radio comes from you, our listeners. If you'd like to support the show, visit the link in the show description or visit patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio. Your support is the plane ticket I need as I take on the challenges of a podcaster on the road. So support the show. More support means meeting more people that you would normally never meet. Become a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio and support the show today. Welcome to Oyster World. Oyster World. Radio. Hello, Oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, the podcast where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. It's easy to get trapped in the day-to-day routines of our own personal bubbles, but there are billions of ways to live the one life you got. And it's my job to find those ways and bring them to you. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and in this episode, I'm happy to bring on our guest today, Christopher Ryan. Chris had a, we'll say, peculiar childhood, having to work on his family's traveling reptile show. Sounds really cool at first, but as you'll see, there are some dark sides to that business. Chris had a resilience about him because of it. He wanted to see the world, and I would say he completed his goal, since we are now sitting together talking in Bangkok. Now working full-time on his photography project, Youth and Urban Decay, Chris treated us to a long-tail boat ride through the canals of Bangkok, so we could see a side of the city that most tourists don't. So how did he get here all the way from his hometown in Mobile, Alabama? Well, you'll just have to stay tuned and find out. So with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Christopher Ryan. All right, Chris, well, welcome to Oyster Rural Radio. We're really happy to have you on the show today. We met by chance. And we had a really good boat tour today. I'm really glad that we were able to connect on Couchsurfing and via Facebook. And it's really nice to meet a fellow American in Southeast Asia every once in a while and someone that's doing the travel, long-term travel, that you don't usually see in the United States. And, oh man, I don't know how you exactly found the boat today that we were on, but we had a hell of a good time, right? Yeah, the boat trip's really awesome. It's my third or fourth time to do that. Uh, I'm, as I told you, a photographer here, so I've used that boat a few times on scouting trips. Yeah, it, and it was, I never seen the long tail boats. I know when I was talking to, to Jackie that she, she has seen those before. Those things are really freaking cool. Yeah. And, and they're super mobile. We're going through these little canals and these, like, the, these villages and all the houses are coming onto the river and they're able to just breeze right through it doesn't matter what's in the water yeah jump right over it they maneuver around pretty good yeah i've never especially as a mechanical engineer it like baffles my mind you know they put this big ass engine on the back and this long ass pipe out oh, yeah. pipe with the rotor into the water and those things can fly yeah i kind of wonder sometimes if they ever accidentally scrape another boat when they're going by the way they lift them up out of the water you know it's a little bit scary but yeah, they well, that and like all the fishing lines in the water, because there was a lot of people fishing yeah, on the yeah, side of the yeah. road if they just cut the lines as they go through. There's it a didn't lot of seem stuff like going it on. mattered. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. It, the Bangkok trap, the travel in Bangkok, or the public transportation, especially with the boats in the river, was always, it, it's so crazy to think about. I see it more as a drive by style, where the boats just slam into the docks, they push the people out, and the more people come on. And then they're off and running. Yeah, and it seems like it's just absolute chaos. And the the public boat system is really overwhelming to try to figure out. Um, and they don't tell you where you're going. They either. have different color flags on the back of the boat, and uh, the piers all have numbers and they have Thai names. 
yeah. and they're in Thai script. So it, if you're a tourist, you're at the mercy of the people at the docks, and those are some of the least friendliest people working at those docks of all the people in the tourism industry here. So It, is, it was really funny when we went for the first time, too, because we didn't exactly know what we were doing. We got the tip from you to try it out, and it would be really cheap. Yep. But the first people you meet are the people that are charging 10 times the actual price. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, no, 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 you need to go now. The other boat doesn't come for like an hour, even though we just saw one pull up and like the next one pull up. Yeah. And it's chaos. It's a little bit of chaos. Everything's in tight scripts. And to get to the uh, to get to get the actual public pier with the public express boat, you have to go through a kind of a gauntlet of those little tables of the people trying to sell those yeah. tours. So, and exactly. Yeah, it can it can be really tricky. So I think it's going to be a little overwhelming, which is even more surprising why I see you here now living in Bangkok. And I guess we'll have to find out how you got here. And we'll dive into your story. Okay, awesome. So, Chris, you were born in America, and even more specifically, you were born in Alabama. In Alabama. Mobile, Alabama. Yes, yes. One, one of the real cities in Alabama. One of the real cities in Alabama. And um, from when we were talking before, it seems like you have a really happy memory of Alabama. And I say that very sarcastically. Yeah, so uh, I was, my, uh, my family had a traveling reptile show. So it was called uh, Snakes, a live and fascinating exhibit. So we traveled around the carnivals, schools, malls, whatever, anywhere people were gathered at. And people would pay to come and walk through this trailer and see cobras, rattlesnakes, pythons. And that was whatever. a family business? Or how did that even start? How do you, how do you begin something Yeah, like so that? my father had collected, uh, started out when he was really young. Uh, and he started out by collecting dead snakes, preserved in formaldehyde. Yeah. And uh, there was a picture of him somewhere growing up. With this really nerdy looking guy with like five jars with dead snakes inside. Yeah. And I guess at some age, when maybe when he left home, he was allowed to have live ones. So Yeah. Uh, eventually this turned into a trailer full of like very expensive, very exotic, some very rare snakes. Yeah. Also, a few other things like uh, alligators, snapping turtles, a few so other things. Not like only that. did he have this massive collection, he started it at yeah. a very young age, but it was his thing. Yes. From the yes. very beginning. Yes. What was that like growing up as a kid for you? Um, it was it was kind of strange, and uh, it was a lot of work. So yeah. it, it's not something. Most of the other kids thought it was really cool, and they were kind of jealous of my brother and I. Yeah. They said, oh, man, that must be so awesome, all these snakes. You're traveling around, you all these snakes. Yeah, 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 but it was really a nightmare. You know, we had to, because when you have these huge, huge snakes, you have to have huge uh, colonies of rats to yeah. raise, to feed them. Rats, mice, um, all kind of weird ways of getting animals. So sometimes, sometimes some of these Burmese pythons would get so big that we have to go around and uh, stop at places where we see a sign that says, free kitten to good home. Oh you know? my god, so you yeah. would actually have to buy the kitten to, to feed it to the snake. My, my job and my brother's job was to go in and pretend like we like cats and walk away Holy with as many shit. as we could, you know, so my my father would say, oh, my, my boys really love your kittens, you know, is it possible you can get more than one? And, uh, you know, so that was just, it was... Okay, so that very, was a little very, bit of a, a dark side to the family Yeah, business. there was a lot of dark sides to it, but that's just, you know... Uh, a brief intro to the dark side for you. And how, how long did this phase of your life last? Was this, is it still ongoing? Well, no. He, well, so I was, 
grew up around all the snakes. And it was about the time that I was uh, 13 or 14 when it was developed into an actual show, an actual business. And uh, I left I left home with my mom when she was divorced. I was 16. And soon after that, when I turned 17, when I was old enough to join the military, I left and joined the Navy. Yeah. So I left at 17 to join the military. So you were pretty much at the age of... Of 17, when you were able to leave, you joined the military to almost escape this situation. Exactly, to, to escape that situation and to escape that, that state much too uh, conservative and limiting for, for my what I wanted to do in my life. Gotcha. Which was to see the world. Yeah, so you wanted to, it was almost like you were trapped in, in a place where you wanted to see the world, you wanted to get out, but the military was really one of the only ways to get out. Exactly. It's the only option for uh, poor kids like me. And then you, so you did get, you, you joined the military. Yep. The Navy. Yes. And you had a six-year deployment. But what, what, so you joined the Navy at 17. Were you hopeful? Were you excited? Were you, like, what were, what was that transition I, of your life like? I was, I was both. I mean, I was hopeful and excited, but I was also scared and nervous. I mean, I'd yeah. never been on my own. But I knew I knew I had to do something. I just I, I couldn't think of any other way out. Yeah. So, so that's what I did. Signed up for six years, and uh, about two years into it, I, well, I should back up a second and tell you that I, in addition to getting me away from home, and uh, to see the world, I thought that it, I thought that the military would also cure my drinking problem and my homosexuality. Oh, so you thought there was almost a cure for it at yeah, this point. Yeah, at the okay. time as a kid, I did. And um, as it turns out, it's there's no way they can cure homosexuality. Right. As I now know as an adult, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it in the first place. Right. But in terms of the of, of drinking and partying, it actually makes that worse. So It made uh, it worse. Made, yes, it makes, makes that worse. So, um, but, it, but it solved the problem of leaving Alabama. So overall, it was a great decision. So unfortunately, you the drinking was still uh, a major factor. I didn't know that it was a problem. I guess it would make sense that your spare time off base, you would go out with your guys and drink and spend the money yeah, that you earn. Exactly. Young kids. Yeah, you're away from home. Blah blah. blah so. so unfortunately, it didn't solve that problem. And but you did get away from from Alabama. Right. And so it was almost like a bittersweet. Sort of thing. Yeah. Like, what was that time of your life like? Was it happy that you're gone? Was it depressing? Was it? I know um, you're probably trying to find. It was find really. Yourself it was really exciting, well. and you know, I, I went to California for boot camp, San Diego, and uh, then ended up in North Chicago for another school, and then in Virginia Beach, and it was really awesome. I mean, it was it, not as exciting as it is for me now going to foreign countries like I've been doing, but. Right. Um, just to see, start. Yeah. yeah, see something different. It gave me, you know, a real taste for uh, for travel. Yeah, which is, you know, it was pretty much what I had expected that it would be awesome to be away from Alabama. Yeah. So, and yeah, it, was, so it was really good. Yeah, and I'm sure it was really nice to see those times, especially in a time where a lot of people try to find themselves. And you were you're a homosexual too, in a place that doesn't really accept or, or is known to not accept it as much. And being out there and seeing more people and just in absorbing more things outside of your hometown probably exactly. had a little bit of a positive effect. Exactly right. 
So the military, though, you were in there for six years, and unfortunately, you didn't make it due to the facts that it is the, uh, the government, not the government, the army at the time. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what the rules are or what the rules are. But you weren't allowed to be homosexual during. Yeah. In so, the Navy? so at the time, I I had been in for about two years in the Navy, and at the time, it was just not uh, legal with the policy. Gotcha. It was before the don't ask, don't tell. Okay. Okay. Way, way, way before that. So um, I was offered the opportunity to get out with an honorable discharge. And so I took that opportunity. Okay. So I cut short my enlistment by more than half. What made you want to leave the most? Was it just where it's been a couple years and it's ready to move on? and Or was it the drinking hadn't gotten any better? Or what, what was it that made you want to cut your commitment short to get out? The biggest thing was I had met this um, military psychiatrist, Dr. Coleman. I'll never, never, ever, ever forget him. But um, I was very depressed and unhappy at the time, uh, dealing with my feelings. And he, he sat me down and said to me, you know, if, if you want to be happy in life, you have to admit what you are and who you are. He said, I can get in a lot of trouble for telling you this, but if you want to be happy in your life, the best way to do it is to get out of the Navy and to embrace your lifestyle. So, he seemed like he knew what he was talking about. So Sounds like a really powerful message for, yeah, for yeah, someone so, struggling and a young person struggling with that. Yeah, so that was uh, really one of the biggest positive changes of my entire life was uh, to take this man's advice and, and do it. And you did, and then you were given the opportunity for an honorable discharge and were able to leave. Yes, exactly. Which brought you then to your college. Uh, college days at FAU. Yeah. And that's when everything, from what we were talking about earlier, started to pick up a little bit. So you're going to college. Yeah, so... And right in the middle of college, you met a couple and somehow got a job. Yeah, so before I uh, finished, I was studying inter international business. And before I even finished, I was at a club in Fort Lauderdale one night and met a couple of guys to work for a con high-rise concrete construction company. Yeah. And they offered me a job as a project engineer. And uh, they said, if you come to work for us, within a year, you'll be making over 100 grand a year. They said, no need to even finish school. Yep. And I said, sounds good to me. <laughs> so, Especially uh, when you got that offer, especially coming from your background, and uh, I mean, like a family business probably struggled at some times too. You were, did all the work. You probably didn't get that much money as a kid working for your family business. Yeah. <laughs> How did it feel to get offered almost a hundred thousand dollars to I mean, do this project? It was pretty insane. I mean, it, it didn't start out that much, but I mean, they said you know within within a year you'll be making that much, and uh, yeah. it just seemed crazy. The amount that they were paying me even in the beginning was was just a lot, and yeah, it made me wonder why why I wasted time and money even going to college. Right, like, just when you could go to a club and. It seemed crazy. Get a, yeah, get a hundred thousand, a six, eventual six-figure job. Yeah, yeah. By meeting the right people at the right time. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it, and they were right. It, it, it did. It did turn into that much money within. I mean, I think they told me within a year. But I think it took like three years before it got to that amount. But yeah, you know, I worked hard and I worked my way up. Became a project manager and was in charge of some pretty big projects I was around the country. Say, from what you were saying, you you were in charge of some really big projects, and you were the man. Yeah, you were the man. And, but with that, as responsibilities grow, it was also pretty stressful at the same time. Yeah, well, that's the problem was uh, the higher up I got, 
the more the, the nightmare it was of dealing with everything. Yeah. If you're um, dealing... So the money started to creep up, 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 but so did the stress and the commitments. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, and um, so, so that went on for about 12 years, and it was... There were a lot of good times and a lot of bad times, but um, in the end, uh, I started just craving my freedom. Yeah. You know, and like day after day, to wake up and go to work for 12 hours a day and not be able to plan a, a decent vacation time or, yeah, you know, it just really started to... Uh, Especially when you had the travel bug or that instilled in you early on. Yeah. And you were able to move around with this company, but that's not exactly the same as traveling a place without work commitments, especially stressful work commitments. Exactly. So I can see where definitely someone like you that loves to travel and love to experience the world didn't really have that outlet during exactly. that time. So, um, so I was lucky in, in the end, the decision was made for me because uh, at the time, at the end of 2014, I was living in San Diego. Yeah. And... Uh, one day, the uh, vice president of the company came in and uh, sat down, and he said, "Chris, I've got some bad news for you." I said, "What's what is it?" He said, "Well, today's going to be your last day." I said, "I'm like, okay, John, uh, what's the bad news?" And he's, <laughs> he he just kind of looked at me that. and said, uh, "He said, well." What I mean to say is, we're not going to need you anymore. You're being, you're being let go. We're going to let you go. And I'm like, okay. I said, so did you bring some checks for me? He says, yeah. He says, well, I got your vacation check and last week's pay. And he said, you don't look too upset. I wonder why. I said, I'm not upset at all. So it's almost like this, this question, which I'm, I'm assuming has been weighing on you for some time. This wanting of your free freedom, and I, I know when I was working, it, it, I, I had a pretty good job. I, I loved it. I loved the money, but I felt a little bit trapped, like almost in a box. Yeah, exactly like that. And like I couldn't get out very far from the box that I was in. Yeah, it's like you're a a player of a, a pawn of somebody's game. Yeah, somebody and else is moving you around. Yeah, and you don't really yeah. have any choice of what to do. Yeah, and you can get. You, you might win the game, but you're winning that for somebody else. Exactly. Most of the time, you're getting kicked around and knocked down anyway. Exactly. Not even you're, winning uh, the game. Sacrifice, you're being sacrificed. Yeah, the exactly. But then the, the box was open for you. You said, okay, we don't need you anymore. And Yeah, what? exactly. So then, like, all of a sudden... I'm what like, was, what? like, the next week like for you? So then you just didn't have to go into work. Were you planning? Were you just sitting there staring at the wall like I did? I was just... I don't know I what think, to do with myself. I think the the first day, like the first thing I had, the, the, the first order of business was to go buy a cell phone because I'd been using the company cell phone for so many years. Okay. So I did that and then I just started calling the important people to say, hey, I lost my job. Here's my new number. And they were all like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I said, why are you why sorry? I'm like, so, why, why do people keep saying that? Like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You do sound kind of happy. So... Anyway, the, the the next few days I was just weighing my options. You know, what what could I do? I could probably easily get another job, exactly yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah. But um, I had been smart about investing in real estate, so I had some uh, rental income from places in uh, other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. 
and I thought about what I really wanted to always do, which is to do something creative. Yeah. Uh, photography had always been a very strong hobby of mine. Yeah, and that's your main creative project now. Yeah. When, when did the photography start for you? When did that love... So, I mean, actually, it started when I was nine years old. I, I bought a, uh, a film camera for a dollar at a yard sale in Alabama. Yeah. Um, but it really went without any much further development other than just taking a lot of pictures until after I lost the job. Yeah. And then I decided to go to go back to school at uh, San Diego City College and took the first semester of the photography program there. And uh, But I was just too excited about the idea of traveling to finish that school. Yeah. So, and it was a really good base for digital photography, film photography, a little bit of everything. And so uh, I, I put, put a plan together to move to Southeast Asia. And it, it really didn't take me too long to put the plan together, but it took a number of months to sell my condo in San Diego and get rid of right. all my furniture and all those things that you have to do. Right. But otherwise, um, otherwise it was pretty easy, pretty straightforward. Yeah, it was almost like you brought back this love that you had as a kid and finally just let it go. Yeah. Just finally just let it out. Yeah. And I, used it. Used it, it. It boggles my mind that a lot of times I'm telling people these stories and they say, well, man, like, how, do you, how can you do that? And yeah. I, I never really understand that because, well, you just do it. I mean, you just, you know, you decide to do it and you... And you I tell them, I said, so you just sell your things, you sell your furniture, you donate your clothes to charity. Yeah. You know, you take certain steps. They're like, well, how can you get rid of all your things? You know, and how well. was that process for you? I'm curious because it I know for me, it was really liberating. Exactly. That's exactly the word I was going to use. This is like liberating. It's, it's nice. fun getting rid of stuff. Like the yeah. more things you get rid of, the better you feel. The happier, for me, like the happier I am. It almost was like an unburdening. I don't have to move this stuff around. I don't have to account for it. It's yeah, not mine anymore. I exactly. Yeah. I haven't read this book in two years. I'm probably not ever going to open it again. Just yeah. give it to somebody else that can use it. And maybe they'll read it and they'll get something out of it like I did when yeah, I first read it. Exactly. And so you you did it. It seems like a pretty easy process. You wanted to travel. You did. You had a little basis of photography. Yep. And then you chose Southeast Asia. Why, why Southeast Asia? So, um, Southeast Asia was one area that I haven't really been to. I, 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 I kind of made it sound like when I was doing construction that I was like always trapped, but I did take some vacations and I'd already traveled um, a few places in Europe and uh, a few places in South America. Mm-hmm. And uh, Southeast Asia, I felt like, was one of the big areas I was missing. Yeah. So, um, I did a little bit of research and figured out that Bangkok was the best place to be as as far as uh, inexpensive lifestyle and able to get to other places easily from the airports. Yeah. So you know, there's two airports in Bangkok, and uh, yeah, it's very easy to get anywhere. It's a really nice central hub for the rest. Really, of anywhere the, in the world, the area, you know, and anywhere in the world, but especially anywhere in other parts of Thailand or in Southeast Asia. Yeah. So that was just. It seems like all these decisions too were very logical and in place, and yeah, they uh, like once I lost my job and made the decision that this is what I was wanted to do. It seemed like everything just really like fell into place automatically for me. You know, what, were, what was your mindset like too, especially when you were on your way here? So it seemed like you were in the motion. You were always in motion, planning, 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 and I always love talking about the tipping point from when a plan becomes a reality. So you're on the plane. Yeah. Now what are you thinking? 
Well, I'm just, when I was on the plane, I'm just thinking of the, in, in, at that moment, thinking in small steps, you know, like, yeah. tomorrow I need to sleep late and get over the jet lag. And then I need to wake up and start looking for a condo and things yeah. like that. You know, I, I planned it fairly carefully where I had a hotel room for a week. I knew that was enough time to find a condo. Yeah. So, like, I just only thought in small increments at that point. Yeah. And uh, waited till I got settled in to kind of start laying out longer range plans. And really start to build and build and build. And then yeah. just really focusing on the small things. Exactly. And it is really amazing when your mindset changes to something completely different, like concrete planning to where am I going to sleep tonight? Yeah. I need a condo. Yeah. Or I have to do this creative project now. <laughs> what should I do? Exactly. And now you, you fell into this great project, the Youth and Urban Decay photography yeah. project. Yeah, so the uh, Youth and Urban Decay is a photography project I put together uh, about the middle of last year, sometime in the middle of 2016. And uh, the concept is mixing kids as a subject. Usually the kids are, so far I've been from six to about 16 years old and use the uh, abandoned buildings around Southeast Asia as the backdrop. Yeah. So I've done like abandoned amusement parks, abandoned water parks, high-rise buildings. And there is a lot. There are, it's, yeah, a it's, lot. It's crazy to Everywhere. soak that in. Yeah. You don't see that in the yeah. And I'm constantly making pins on the GPS, uh, on the Google Maps. I'm constantly dropping pins when I see a place. Sometimes I'll be on my way to look at a place where I had a tip about something and I'll see two or three others on the way. So if, if I were to show you my Google Maps, it's just going to be pins and pins. Loaded and pins. with pins, yeah. <laughs> we even dropped some today. Yeah, yeah. We saw, answer. what, two or three at least. I think so. Some new ones. Definitely. One mansion. That big the white one mansion. mansion was yes. insane. Just completely yeah, yeah. The, abandoned. No one there. The, the boat captain didn't want to let us uh, run around in there. But. Which I mean, rightfully so. Yeah. We were in trouble, but I'll, I'll hit it up one day on my own. So it now it seems like your new project, your new career is to explore, find these places that pique your interest and take beautiful photographs of them. Yeah, that's the idea. So it's um, the challenge is uh, putting everything together, you know, the the right kid in the right building. Yeah. And I'm very careful about uh, the process of selecting the who's going to be in the project. So I always have a um, every country I go to, I have an assistant in that area in advance, and uh, then they usually will round up some prospective models. And then we do a little interview process with the parents. And then when we, then the next thing is to check out the locations. Yeah. You know, because it needs to be abandoned and old and a little bit. We want to make sure that it's safe. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, like, you know, I prefer concrete structures. But yeah. occasionally we'll right. do, occasionally we'll do a wooden Something building. a little bit more but, yeah. <laughs> dangerous. Wooden building uh, obviously has the, the risk of somebody falling through the floor. So. Right. You know, if, if we do... A couple of times we've done, two times that I can think of that we've done um, abandoned wooden structures. We use kids from that neighborhood that play in those places every day anyway. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit risky, but... Yeah. And it is, you, while you're using the, the real people from the real place, and you're capturing the stories of the place that you're working at. It's really yeah, interesting. And of course, um, some people get a little bit mixed up and they, they have the idea that the, that the kids live in these places 
and that's which is usually not the case. Although there has been one shoot that I've done so far at the airplane graveyard in Bangkok, where the seven-year-old boy in that shoot actually did live in one of the abandoned planes. Yeah, but normally they're from the same city. I, I try to keep them their ethnicity and geography to match. Right. So uh, you know, I wouldn't use a, a a Dutch kid in Bangkok, for example. Right. You know, but makes no sense. Yeah, seems a little out of place. So. It, it, it seems just like by hearing you talking about this project, I can see your excitement and how it seems like you're happy. And how are you right now? Especially, like, what are you comfortable? You don't have as much money as you did before, but yeah, there is. Like, what's I'm, your mindset right I'm like now? Like, really, really happy. And uh, people have been very supportive of this project in uh, Bangkok. People love to have their kids in this project. Uh, I sincerely doubt that I would have the same reception in America yeah. you know, if I were to want to shoot you know photos of 12 year old kids in abandoned buildings in America I don't think that would go <laughs> probably too well not so, probably not so good yeah. but uh, it's gone over really well here uh, I've got positive responses on uh, Instagram and on my social media and um, I put together a book now of my works and projects it's not works in progress it's not a book that I sell but just something that I show to parents when I'm talking about the project and uh, I'm, just, I'm very, very happy with it. We have a really good time. Um, I have several different people that work with me on these projects, collaboration. I don't worry about the money too much. There's, um, as you say, there's none coming in. I'm, I'm hoping that eventually I'll get to the point where someone will notice these works and I'll get offered some kind of job doing photography, working for right. a commercial publisher or magazine or even as an assistant for a higher level photographer or something. But for now, I'm just enjoying doing the work yeah and even though that hasn't come yet seems like you're really happy yeah i'm like super happy so it's, it's been an incredible experience i mean absolutely your, your story is a great monument to that and i know a lot of people are struggling with the same thing that you were that the money's coming in how can you give up your stuff how can you do this how can you just throw it all away and someone that's gotten out of that and now been able to pursue the creative aspects of their life and maybe don't have as much money as I used to, but now are living in Bangkok and doing something that only a fraction of the percent of anyone in the world can possibly do. What would you say to the people that are stuck in that stressful job, maybe thinking about something else? I'd say they should, they should definitely take steps towards fulfilling their dreams. Um, I never advocate to somebody to just go off uh, on a backpacking adventure with no, you know, with no real right. plan or no real way to come back if it don't work out. Right. But the point is, is that that there's a way to do it. You know. So even if it takes if it takes another year of a little bit of unhappiness to save up for you know three years of an amazing experience, do it. I mean, just take it step by step and do it. Yeah. Uh, the reward is just insane. Put the things in action. Slowly build up, slowly move forward. And yeah, it's, it's possible. Yeah, do you can do do, do research. You know, I mean, and even if even if a person can't go right away, they'll they'll get a lot out of doing the research. You know, the the dreaming about it is amazing. So yeah. even if you have to use the dreaming about leaving as as a stress relief for whatever bad situation you're in, you know, that's that's better than going out wasting money drinking your Exactly. You're stressed away every night, you know? Exactly. And, and still just waking up to the same thing every single time. Yeah. And then if, if you if you know in your mind that 
one year from now or two years from now, I'm going to be able to leave this job and go to whatever country, whatever place, do volunteer work or follow whatever dream, then like you're just going to be so much happier every day. Yeah. And I feel like that's what it's really about. Yeah. At really. the end of the day. Yeah. It's about being happy and yeah. enjoying yourself. Exactly. Because you only got so many days on the earth and we got to use it. Yeah. That's so for Chris, sure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. This is a great Thank spot you. to wrap up. Check out ChristopherRyan.com. It is an amazing portfolio. I think you guys will really enjoy it. And stay up to this guy. He's going to be an up-and-coming photographer here in Bangkok pretty soon. So, Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Nate. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio. Thanks again, Christopher Ryan, for coming on the show. Check out the links in the show description for more information on his project and all upcoming projects and his Instagram. Keep up to date on everything going on in the Big Gap here on Instagram at Nathan.Wanders. We are just getting back from Greece, so don't miss out on all of the island pictures. Check out the links in the show description for more information. Special thanks to Charlie Milken for all of the oyster jams. Check them out on Spotify or at charliemilken.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Don't forget to support the show on Patreon. A-T-R-E-O-N at patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio. And thanks again for tuning in to Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks. But until then, this is Nathan Lieberman signing off. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about all time that's gone by It's time for a change in my day-to-day